So last night at my house, there was a miracle that took place. Um, the miracle was, well, first of all, the miracle was that uh, my kids went to bed without causing some uh, major political uproar um, at, a, at a decent hour. And so my wife and I had time to actually sit down and watch a movie together. So we opened up Netflix, and that's all a miracle in and of itself. But, but the actual miracle was is that we found a movie within five minutes together and picked this movie and began to watch it. It was absolutely astounding. Because normally what happens in our house is if we, if we get a chance to watch a movie, uh, I'll say, Erica, do you want to watch something? She says, yes. And so and she tells me to pick something out. And so I start scrolling through. And about 45 minutes later, I look over. And she's been asleep for a while. And I've yet to decide anything whatsoever. And it's because there's 15,000, almost 15,000 movies now and TV shows and documentaries on Netflix. There's so much to choose from. To, to, to look through, and so it's paralyzing to think, you know, what movie do I want to watch? I think about it a lot when, when I was 15, walking through the hallways of, of a Blockbuster video and how amazing that was to go into the video store and to think that there's so many choices here and there was probably maybe like a thousand videos there and now there's 15,000 videos and movies and TV shows, documentaries, all this stuff right at our fingertips. We have this explosion of choice in our modern world, not just with, with movies, but with food, with entertainment, with media, everything, all these choices, everything that we would ever dream of right here at our fingertips. And you'd, you'd think that all of that choice would be good news in the sense that, that it, it would make us more happy, right? Well, actually, no, it hasn't made us more happy. In fact, it's some uh, psychologists have shown that, that the growth in choice has actually caused negative effects on our life. For instance, uh, psychologist Barry Schwartz, he wrote a book called Paradox of Choice, which talks about the, the negative effects of that many choices. And here's what he said. When people have no choice, life is almost unbearable. As the number of available choices increases... As it has in our consumer culture, the autonomy, control, and liberation this, this variety brings are powerful and positive. But as the number of choices keeps growing, negative aspects of having a multitude of options begin to appear. As the number of choices grow further, the negatives escalate until we become overloaded. And at this point, choices no longer liberates but debilitates. It might even be said to tyrannize. You ever felt that before? We have another word for this. The, the, the young kid hip word is FOMO. You know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. It's an abbreviation for that. Fear of missing out. It's, it's knowing that there's all sorts of options out there, so you never really commit to one option, because if you commit to that option, that could cut you off from a different option. We, we just we like everything, but we don't really commit to anything. I, one of the things I hate the most about Facebook it, and there's many things, but the one of the things I hate the most about Facebook is the interested button on events, because that is essentially not an I'm interested in this event button. It is I refuse to commit to this event, and instead I'm going to keep my options open as much as possible, and if I decide at that last moment this is my best option, then I will actually 
show up. That's what the button actually means, this interested event. So why do I bring this up? I bring this up because in, in our consumer culture with so many choices, talking about having a, a, a relationship with Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow him, can seem in the religious climate of our day to just be one choice among many choices, to just be one of the options that are out there for us to pick up in our religious economy. And so to choose to follow Jesus in some sense, it it limits our options otherwise. I've had literal conversations about this with folks that say, you know, I'm really intrigued by Jesus. I'm intrigued by following him, but but I'm, I'm just reluctant to commit. I'm not sure completely, so I'm not going to take that next step forward because I don't want to limit my options at all. So we, we, we like Jesus, and, and we're interested in Jesus. We even may admire Jesus, but, but we hardly know what it means to follow him because we have to ask the question then, what, if we follow this Jesus, how am I able to keep my options open. So I'd rather just, I'd rather just like you, Jesus, and kind of hold you at a distance, right? I'd rather just admire you and not let that kind of discipleship process happen in my own life because that would limit where I feel. When you think about following Jesus, be honest with us here today. Does it feel limiting? Does it feel like you're giving up a whole lot of other stuff that might be good? Like you're just taking one option out of so many options. Yet in John 10, Jesus, he makes this promise, this big, bold statement that he's making this for you, he's making this for me. He says this in John 10, 10, "I, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So not just life, abundant life, abundance. What this means is not just full life, life that's full. It's it's life that's actually overflowing over the top. It's not just a nice life. It's a life that you have more life than you could have dreamed to experience. It's over and above the ordinary. This is why Jesus said he came, so that you and I could have abundance in our lives. And to be honest with you, I have trouble sometimes believing that. Anybody else? I struggle for many different reasons, but mostly because, if I'm honest, my mind, probably like many of your minds and and your experience, we're more shaped by scarcity. We've been shaped by scarcity. That word scarcity, it, it, it comes from the same word we get scared um, and it really just means that underneath everything, we have this fear of missing out, of, of underneath our constant need for choice. The root is ultimately that there's just not enough to go around. And if there's not enough to go around, then, then I, I'm going to have to get all that I can for myself. i got to get what I can while I can because I, I know deep down inside that there's just not really enough for everybody. So i got to hoard life for myself because I'm living by a fear that ultimately God might be holding back. 
We see this problem from the beginning. In, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see Adam and Eve, they're born into this world of utter abundance. It's a world of perfect love, of, 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 of no fear. There's abundance absolutely everywhere. Everything is at their fingertips to enjoy, to, to steward, and to cultivate life. Their options were almost unlimited. But there was one tree, one tree that God told them to stay away from, because if they ate it, they would surely die. But... That one tree, out of all the other trees, remember, we're not talking about one tree and one tree. We're talking about one tree and probably millions of trees. But that one tree, God said, stay away because you're going to die. And that's when the serpent comes in and he begins to speak these lies. Let's look in Genesis chapter 3. It says that now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God really say You can't eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see what the strategy of the serpent is here? The strategy of the serpent with Adam and Eve is living in a world without fear and perfect love and abundance, and yet they have a lie that is spoken to them. This lie is the same lie that is still being spoken to each and every one of us. It's this. The lie is that God is withholding good from you. God's holding back. And so therefore, God's not really good. Out of all these options, if you want to really take hold of life, if you really want to get what you, you, you have to get, then, then you've got to grab hold of it. You've got to take it by yourself. You've got to take it for yourself because ultimately there's just not enough to go around. There's a scarcity that's happening. This is scarcity. It's saying God is, is really in his heart of hearts. He's holding back something good from me, and so I've got to take it myself. That's at the heart of every single sin, of every single threat of brokenness that we have experienced in our life is this idea that God is withholding good, so you know what I got to do? I got to get it. If he's not going to give it to me, I got to take it for myself. Because ultimately, there's not enough to go around. You may have experienced that individually in the fact that if you look out upon your lives, the the things that you've sought out because you're afraid that ultimately God is withholding good things from you. And so you try to create that. You try to to work those things into your lives yourselves. But this is not just an individual thing. If you look at the systems and and the governments and the, 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 the cultures of our day, look at the brokenness around us. How much of this is driven by scarcity? Driven by the fact that we believe that that we have to grab things for ourselves, that we can't share what we have because ultimately there's not enough to go around for, for those people and for those countries. Think about how racism and poverty and all these things are built on this idea that there's just not enough. There's not enough love. There's not enough power. There's not enough influence. There's not enough relationships. And so if that's true, we build systems, we build cultures on the idea that God is withholding good from us, so we got to get it ourselves. we got to take hold, and we got to make sure that those people don't. That those people over there that are not like us, 
that live in a different part of the world, whatever that may be, the people who are different from us, we hold them in an arms, difference, arms space away from us because we want to make sure that they are not limiting us. Walter Brueggemann, he's a, he's a theologian. He says it this way, we who are now the richest nation are, today, are today's main coveters. We never feel that we have enough. We have to have more and more, and this insatiable desire destroys us. Whether we are liberal or conservative Christians, we must confess that the central problem of our lives is that we are torn apart by the conflict between our attraction to the good news of God's abundance and the power of our belief in scarcity, a belief that makes us greedy, mean, and unneighborly. We spend our, t- our lives trying to sort out that ambiguity. You feel that? You feel that life that's driven by fear, fear that God isn't good, that ultimately he's holding things back from us. He's not really for us. He's mostly for himself. And you know what that fear does? That fear turns us inward. It turns us away from the world, and it turns all of our attention to ourselves because if there's not enough to go around, then then my life has to be focused on me and protecting my needs, my thoughts before everything else. I have to protect myself to build up a wall and turn myself inward. I have to make myself the central reality of my story to hold on to whatever I can, however I can. And in that fear, into that scarcity, Jesus comes and speaks this idea that I have come so that you can have life and have it in abundance. I came to introduce you to the reality that there's enough to go around. That scarcity is a lie. And that not only is God with you, but God is for you. He's not holding back. And this is how he describes this in Matthew 6. This is a powerful passage. Many of you have heard this before. Hear it with fresh ears today. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. And yet, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into this furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Everything you need will be provided for you if you seek my kingdom and my righteousness. Now, I used to read this passage, and I pictured Jesus as being a very hippie, out-of-touch, apathetic person, as if he's saying, don't worry, man, it's fine, you know, look at the birds, man, you know, like, 
Come back to reality, Jesus. Like, that's not what this is like. I don't want to stare at the birds and forget. Life is hard, and, and I do have worry. I do have anxiety. But what I come to realize is in the grand scheme of this passage and what Jesus is speaking is he's introducing us in this moment to a life where we begin to believe in abundance and not scarcity. That if there's enough to go around, that the heavenly Father himself will provide every single thing that we need. And that worry and that anxiety can subside because we no longer live by scarcity and fear. We know that our Father knows what we need. This is the picture of abundance that Jesus gives us. The picture of what our reality as his disciple looks like, that he does not hold back. God does not withhold good from us. And this is the promise we hear in in Romans 8, 28, when he says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you know what that means? It means that even in our struggles and in our pains and our disappointment, even in our sin, God is always in the process of bringing about our good, working good into our lives. There is never a moment that God is not actively Shaping your life for good. That's good news. That's abundance. That means that there is nothing that I will face. No heartache, no pain, no struggle that I cannot trust that God is bringing about abundance in my life. Now, maybe you've come from a background or experienced something called the prosperity gospel, which is saying abundance is just that God gives you lots and lots of money, that if you're really holy and great, then God's going to make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. Now, the prosperity gospel is, is something that honestly, they, they, they've not gone too far. They, they've not, they've just not gone far enough. See, it's just, just money. It's just money. That's just money. God has so much more than money. And in fact, some of the people I know that live in the deepest level of abundance are the poorest people I know. They know abundance in a way that that, that folks that have experienced wealth, and let's be honest, we're Americans, most of us are wealthy. They live in this deep sense of of, of abundance that's phenomenal. The wealth, you can be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams and still live from a place of scarcity and fear that there's just not enough to go around and i got to hoard it for myself. And and you can be dirt poor but have this deep level of joy overflowing with abundance in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about this when he's he's speaking about his hardships. And at the end of this passage, he says this amazing phrase. He says, they're having nothing... And yet possessing everything. Oh, I love that so much. I have nothing, but yet I'm possessing everything. That's the reality of abundance in Jesus. There can be points in our lives where we are at a place where we have reached the end of our rope financially, relationally, personally, wherever that is. We may feel like we have nothing, but with Jesus, we have everything that we need. Even in poverty, There can be abundance. So you know what happens to our lives when we begin to trust that God is not holding back? There's enough to go around that that even in our worst moments, 
even when we feel like he's withholding good, that he's actually bringing about good, our lives turn outward, not inward, they turn outward, and we're free to actually love. We're free to love God, we're free to love our neighbors as ourselves, because scarcity, scarcity is driven by fear, but abundance is driven by love. Abundance is driven by the fact that if I don't have to hoard this for myself, I am free to use what God has given me, whether not much at all or a ton. It's, it's I now know that I live in this reality of abundance and I can love and give away my life because I know that I'm not going to run out. I'm not going to run out. God's not withholding anything from me. The reason why we struggle to love is because we live in a mindset that if I give myself away, that ultimately I will come up empty because God's not going to give me what I need. It's driven by fear. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus was so passionately trusting in his heavenly Father's goodness. If you read through the Gospels, he's constantly passionately trusting God's goodness to him that he turned himself outward constantly in self-giving sacrificial love. What you see in Jesus, why he is so loving, not only towards the Father and towards the people around him, towards his neighbors, is because he didn't have to worry about the fact that there, there may not be enough to go around. He was confident that God would provide every single thing that he needed, and so he turned himself towards love. And so when Jesus invites us to follow him, that's what this series, Practicing Jesus, is all about. When we're called to be his disciples, it's called into a life of abundance. What discipleship is, is learning how to live from, from moving away from a life of fear and moving into a life of love. And so last week, we, we used this statement that Dallas Willard says, says discipleship is, is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And so the question then becomes, if, if a disciple of Jesus is one whose life is turned outward in love because of the abundance and overflow of Jesus in our lives, what would that look like in your life, in your job, in your home? It asks us the question, the question that every single one of us have to ask today is, is where am I living from a place of scarcity? Where am I living, if I'm just real gut level honest, where am I living like I'm afraid that God's really just holding back? That there's not going to be enough to go around? What would it look like to take that place in our life, that story? Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe, maybe it's a, 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 an issue from your past that you've dealt with that you think that just, you just know God's holding back. What would it look like to take that today and bring that to the table of Jesus and say, I lay this down. I trust you with this. I trust you with this fear that I've held on to for far, far, far too long. The invitation Jesus is giving us today is, is to follow him and learn to trust that God isn't holding back anymore. But in every single thing, he's seeking our good. I know today that there's folks in this room that you're thinking, man, there is something that... It, my deepest, deepest places in me. I just want, I need that, God. I need it. Maybe it's, I'm waiting for that right one to come along. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that right job. And God, you still haven't given that to me. And I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. But what we know is, what we know is true today. Whatever feels like it's being withholded from us. The reason God is doing this 
is that the only thing we know about his character is he's withholding anything in our lives right now to bring about even greater good. To bring about an even greater good in your life. There's never a moment he's not seeking that good for you. So what I want to do for us today is I want to pray. And today as we celebrate communion together, some of us know and, and love Jesus, but we have lived in a mindset of scarcity for long enough, and we have, have to leave this fear behind to take up love. This is such good news, man. This is just such good news. I don't want to live by fear. I just don't. I want to live as if there's not enough to go around. I can't think of anything more beautiful and timely than taking communion in this. Since we take these elements today, what we do is we remember that Jesus came to offer himself to us, to not hold back from us. He gave all of himself to us so that in turn, as we seek to follow him, we can give all of ourselves to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so followers of Jesus, I just encourage you to come and take these elements. The bread represents Jesus' body. We dip it into the juice represents his blood and so we, we this is a table that's open to you if you consider yourself a follower of jesus come and receive today um, we're going to have communion teams over here on the right and on the left so i encourage you today to do that we're also going to have folks that we'd love to pray for you back here as well um, if you just want to sit in your seat and just kind of process what god is speaking to you whatever that may be don't just sit listen and respond to what god is saying today as we move forward so let me pray for us father Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. We are formed every day, Jesus, in a world that tells us that we have to be afraid. And your word says that perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And so today, Jesus, through these elements, through this singing, through prayer, through whatever that may be, that perfect love would, would be manifest and real today in our lives, and it would drive away the fear that has been in the driver's seat. But Jesus, you today would take us to a place of love, of turning our lives from inward to outward, and love for you and love for our neighbor. As we discover that you've come that we might have life and have it in abundance. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I want to share this one scripture for.